Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Briar. And I'm Nora. And this week, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We've watched 2015's Krampus. We open on scenes of Black Friday chaos as shoppers fight over deals accompanied by Christmas music. Unruly shoppers are tasered, the queues are practically infinite, and the nativity scene is a brawl. Nobody here is having a good time. Then, in an American kitchen I feel like I've seen a million times, an old lady is baking a grand assortment of Christmas goods. Her arguing family, who I have also seen a million times, enters. The son, Max, bruised after attacking another kid in the nativity brawl over their cynicism about Christmas. The father, Tom, has to take a business call. The mother, Sarah, is annoyed that he's working at Christmas. And the daughter, Beth, is attached to her phone. You know these characters. You have seen them in many, many things. Omi, the grandmother of the family, shares a tender moment with Max over his Christmas letter to Santa as we hear the rest of the family continue to argue in the background. So they continue talking about the nature of Christmas a while, uh, Omi speaking German throughout this while Max replies in English. We get subtitles for her here, but not later. Um, she mentions believing in an old Saint Nick. Uh, she mentions believing in old Saint Nick is about believing in the true spirit of the holiday, the spirit of giving and of sacrifice. She lingers on sacrifice for a while. Up in her bedroom, Beth chats away to what is assumedly her stoner boyfriend on her laptop. And then the house begins to comedically shake as some larger vehicle shows up outside. It's the extended family, consisting of Linda, the wife, Jordan and Stevie, two daughters, Howie Jr., the son, and Howie, the guy from Anchorman, seemingly doing the exact same character. Um, they've brought their dog also, and Berta from Two and a Half Men is here. Uh, she has jokes and is just ready for this family gathering to get as rowdy as possible. Sarah seems to not like her very much, and everyone is rude to her behind her back. This is just how mother-in-laws get treated in all media, I guess. Uh, Howie's family left the baby in the car. Everyone in their family is clearly positioned as slobbier and poorer and more conservative than Max's family, and it kind of blows. Um, they have a dinner, I assume it's not the big Christmas dinner, just some kind of large meal. Uh, the two families basically just rip into each other and make fun of each other. Um, Howie loves guns, Max's dad was in the Scouts, the other family is poor and mean, our family is rich and clean, etc, etc. Uh, everyone clearly hates each other, so I don't know why they're still doing this. 
but it seems to be a yearly affair. Uh, Howie's daughters read out Max's letter to Santa, which conveniently spells out the dysfunction of both families, and then everyone fights over it. Max declares he hates Christmas now and storms out, and Dorothy reminds everyone that he's totally correct, and of course Howie Jr. has not stopped eating because, start joke, he's fat and loves to eat. End joke. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very intellectual and cerebral movie, this one. Uh, in his room, Max cries about his letter to Santa. His dad comes in to reassure him that despite the fact that their families don't get on at all, families put up with this kind of thing, so that has to happen. Max pretty rarely disagrees, but Tom continues to dole out some hallmark shit about finding common ground. Max continues sending his letter, but instead tears it up and throws it out of the window, where it mystically swirls up into the sky, and a storm instantly rolls in. Thunderclaps as the power in the neighborhood sputters and goes out. It is just slightly foreboding. Just a little bit. Gotta take a big sip. Return of the big sips. Yes. The next morning, Max opens his advent calendar to a picture of an odd snowman, then looks out to the window to see one that is even more macabre. We learn that a strange blizzard has arrived overnight, and Sarah muses about how they're going to survive Christmas without electricity or heat. The phone lines are also down. At this point, I remember where I've seen Tony Collette before, and it's a better movie than this one. <laughs> Max shows his parents the creepy snowman, and they are completely unfazed. Linda answers the door to a delivery man with a package, and her and Howie find that a large red sack has also been left on the doorstep. They carry this in, and nobody seems to question it yet, or at any other point in the movie. Beth, concerned that she hasn't heard from her boyfriend Derek for a while, sets off into the blizzard to check on him. Omi has been making some hot chocolate in the fireplace, God bless her, we stand a German grandma. Out in the snow, Beth gets extremely lost in the blizzard, which has frozen the town to comedy levels. Everything gets suddenly dark, and the wind dies down as voices and sleigh bells can be heard in the distance. With a thud, a dark figure with long horns and a red robe lands on a nearby rooftop. It leaps from that one to another, and chases Beth down the street as she runs through the snow, eventually reaching the delivery van from earlier, which is now completely frozen solid, including the driver. She takes refuge underneath the van for a while, panicking, before a large pair of hooves land in the snow before her. With a growl and a jingling of his chains and bells, the figure paces around the van, before eventually leaping back away into the air. Beth begins to relax, but she turns to notice a small music box that has been left beside the van playing Silent Night. It finishes and suddenly pops open. What looks like a tiny clown begins to slowly creep out of it, and Beth screams as whatever it is creeps into the van, and assumedly kills her. Uh, that said, we do hear her screams later on, but we never see her again, so I'm not sure if she was dead or not. I'm assuming dead. Yeah, I guess it's vague. But she is probably dead. Uh, back home, Mike looks out to the yard again and notices that the snowman looks even creepier. Tom and Sarah sit in the dining room and talk, both clearly missing some time before Tom's work life kept him from home so much. Uh, Omi stokes a fire, Howie and Tom hatch a plan to go check on Beth in his Hummer, but Omi gets up to say something to Tom in German, clearly concerned. Despite getting subtitles earlier when she was speaking to Max, we don't get them here. Oh, um, um I think I remember this. I, I, I could, like, my German is not what it used to be, but I picked up, like, 
a solid 80% of what Omi was saying. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember what this was, though. I mean, Max translates in a second, but I'm assuming his translation is maybe either clumsier because he's a kid or completely accurate because this is a movie. I'm, I might be thinking of a different scene, but yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so Max translates for us, saying that it's too dangerous to go out and that they should wait until the storm is over. Tom assures her that everything will be okay and the two leave anyway. Out in the blizzard, practically nothing can be seen from their car and no radio stations can be heard either. The two come across a stopped snowplow, its doors open and abandoned, but the keys still in the ignition. The front window is broken on the driver's side, the frozen glass punched inwards, and as they look to a nearby house, Howie and Tom notice the windows and doors have been smashed, the Christmas tree spilling out the front room and onto the lawn. From a gun safe in the back of the truck, Howie produces a large shotgun and revolver that he just brought with him to, to Christmas, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems cool and fine. <sighs> back home, Linda and Sarah bond a little over the decorations of the tree, but everyone suddenly hears footsteps above them. They stop for a moment before a large thud shakes the house. Omi, by the fire, looks increasingly worried. It's almost as if she knows what's going on. Out at Derek's house, Howie and Tom enter to find the place frozen solid. The decorations and furniture clearly tossed around in a struggle. They find a gingerbread man impaled to the fridge by a large kitchen knife, and Tom comes across a shattered picture of Beth and Derek. Howie reaches the fireplace, which is shattered and broken as if something forced its way down the chimney and large hoof prints mark the snow at the bottom. And Tom, who I do not believe for a second is more equipped to make this observation than Harry, asks, what kind of goat walks on its hind legs? Black Phillip, next question. Yeah, fair. I did not think fair. <laughs> uh, we cut to a stranger's perspective for a moment, watching them from behind until Beth screams alert the two and they rush outside. They stagger out into the thick snow, and as he falls behind, something grabs Howie from beneath it biting his legs and pulling him into the snow. Tom grabs a revolver and fires a few rounds into it, alerting the rest of the family before whatever was in there burrows away through the snow. Howie and Tom retreat, only to find that their truck has been reduced to a flaming wreck. At home, Sarah is about to leave to find them when they both burst directly in through the front door, cloaked in snow. Howard goes full anti-home invasion mode, but Tom declares, not here. Like, there's any place more appropriate for that kind of talk than right here and right now. The two continue to deny that anything happened outside and insist that Harry's injuries are just a scratch, despite literally one second ago telling everyone to stay inside and avoid the windows. The kids are all escorted into the kitchen alongside Aunt Dorothy, and Omi wants Tom to keep the fire hot as she joins them. In the kitchen, Aunt Dorothy teaches the children to make peppermint snaps, and Max listens in on the front room. Omi is sharpening the kitchen knives. Fairly menacingly, I think. <laughs> I love her. She's great. She's very good. Uh, Tom breaks the news that they haven't found Beth yet, and Howie breaks the news that they have lost their truck. They make a plan to hold out in the house, and the kids overhear all of it. Um... Tony Collette starts practicing her best I've lost a child foreground stairs. She will use <laughs> these later. Uh, they begin to board the house up, and the children enjoy some Bible entertainment on their tablet while the adults pair off to have some emotions together. There are multiple creepy snowmen outside the house at this point, and Max notes that Omi has been acting differently recently, 
Again, it's almost as if she knows what's going on. Uh, Harry and Tom have a brief aside to reminisce about how nice it is to have a wife. Let me tell you, having a wife, pretty great. Great things about those wives. Love my wife. Uh, Later, despite uh, offering to keep watch, Harry is fast asleep alongside the rest of the family. The fireplace is on its last embers, and the Bible story iPad quietly flickers out of battery. Chattering and scraping is heard down the chimney alongside the rattling of a chain as a hook descends into the fireplace, a large gingerbread man attached to the chain. Start joke. Harry Jr. is fat, so he walks over to eat the gingerbread man, but it comes alive and catches him with the hook. End joke. He gets dragged up, and everyone grabs onto his feet to try and pull him out of the chimney. Very kind of Willy Wonka-esque setup here. Yeah. A smoldering log bounces out of the fireplace and onto the Christmas tree, which immediately bursts into flames. Tony Collette sees the living gingerbread man and shrieks, her life clearly threatened by this tiny sweet boy. (laughs) Uh, She freaks out and the chain of adults collapses and Howie Jr. disappears up the chimney. Max immediately puts the fire out so quickly that it basically doesn't matter. And everyone is pretty naturally freaked out. Tony Collette really starts earning her hereditary role here. Uh, Omid declares that this is all everyone's fault and that he has come for us all. I'm going to take another big sip break here. In English, Omid tells everyone the story of a Christmas from her youth, where despite the bleakness of their situation, she still believed in the spirit of Christmas. The rest of the town had no such belief, having given up on the holidays, something she would eventually also do driven by her arguing parents. She wished for no Christmas miracles that night, instead wishing that her unloving parents would be taken away. Saint Nicholas did not show up to grant this wish. Instead, the Krampus and his helpers appeared, with no gifts to give, only lives to take. Omi herself was spared, as a reminder that hope must never be abandoned. If I could just jump in about Omi real quick. I did remember what line I heard in this movie that wasn't subtitled. I'm pretty sure at some point she gives the dad some hot chocolate and says hot chocolate makes everything better or something like that. But oh, um, nice. Also, this story is, like, animated. Yeah, it's really strange. Nothing else in the movie is done like this, but this entire story is fully animated. And it's also, like, the best part of the movie. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, None of the, the people or the bad jokes are in it. Yeah, there's no jokes, which, to be fair, you could make the argument that there are no jokes during the rest of the movie, but... Um, I'd accept that no- argument. Nobody is trying to make jokes, and it's just got this... It's kind of like how the animated section of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 is the best part of Harry Potter movies. Yeah, it's quite nice and meaningful. And in, you know, immediate whiplash, we jump back to the real family... As Howie calls the story senile horseshit, accuses the family of inaction, and gets up to face whatever is out there in the snow attacking them. Uh, everyone obviously pleads for him not to do this because it's immensely foolish. Uh, and he opens the door to the howling wind and a yard now completely full of creepy snowmen. Creatures cackle and prance in the darkness behind them, and the family returns inside. Max asks his father what they should do, and he replies, they keep the fire hot. The following morning, the other kids are speaking to Omi and Max has to translate for them. 
Linda asks if there's anything that can be done about Krampus, and Omi makes a remark that Aunt Dorothy does not need a working knowledge of German to translate as we're fucked. In the kitchen, Tom circles some places on a map dramatically. He asks Sarah what she saw in the chimney, but Sarah instead asks if she believes Omi's story, leaving them at an impasse. Curled up with the burning remains of their presence, Linda finds one that is making a strange noise. It is obviously a jack-in-the-box. She goes to open it, but Linda interrupts her as the four parents have a meeting in the kitchen to plan their escape. The presents, back in the other room, rattle and shake, cackling all the while. More sip time. I get the driest mouth doing these summaries. They're good summaries. Well, thank you. They're just very long, especially this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, downstairs, Max watches through the window with his binoculars, briefly spotting Krampus. Jordan and Stevie patrol upstairs in the dark, but hear a voice that is obviously coming from a speaker of some kind. They follow it up into the attic anyway, believing it to be Beth. They scream, and the family heads upstairs after them, Tony Collette grabbing an axe on the way. There are sounds of crashing both upstairs and down, so Tom leads Linda and Tony up to the attic, while Howie heads into the back of the house to investigate. In the frozen attic, none of the children can be seen, but Linda discovers that all the presents are torn, things having torn their way out from the inside. Something suddenly clatters in the dark, and downstairs, something shattering can be heard. Howie is briefly menaced by a gingerbread man, and the scene here continues to flick between the kitchen and the attic pretty erratically. Um, this, like, series of scenes is way too much. They needed to slow down here. <clears throat> yeah. I mean... I would describe most of this movie as too much. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason the summary here is way longer than any of the other yeah. movies we've watched. There's yeah. too much damn movie. Um, so the upstairs team discovers the jack-in-the-box slowly consuming one of the children, and Tim tries to shoot it but completely misses. This this jack-in-the-box may be one of the, the good parts of the movie. I like this disgusting huge jack-in-the-box. Yeah, yeah, it's like very cool design and uh, like puppet stuff going on here. Yeah, I think they had a lot of fun with like some of the the visual design stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a shame the movie is not good. Yeah. Uh, so the Jack in the Box scurries away as some gingerbread men begin to shoot Howie with a nail gun. Um, Team Attic tries to find the Jack in the Box, but instead finds a. What I think is a Christmas tree angel that has become some sort of, like, malevolent bird creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it assaults Tony Collette, and Linda is suddenly also attacked by a huge, sharp-toothed teddy bear, which grabs her by the arm. Uh, meanwhile, the gingerbread men run out of ammo, and Howie shotguns a lantern, which just, like, explodes instantly and sets the kitchen on fire. Uh, there is too much stuff happening in this goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Back upstairs, Linda continues to be mauled by the toddy bear, while the satanic treetopper, trying to kill Tony Collette, produces a long, wiry tongue which it sticks into her ear. It sucks. It's nasty. Yep. You hate to see it. You do hate to see it. Uh, Tom is also attacked by a robot with a knife, while the jack-in-the-box finds an air duct cover. The dog rushes in to save Howie from being stabbed to death by a gingerbread man, while the angel hangs Tony Collette from the rafters with Christmas lights, which... Hey, Ariasta, uh, how much did you like this movie, huh? Watched <laughs> this one a lot, did you, huh? <laughs> um, 
After seeing that Stevie is alive, Linda fights off the teddy bear with maternal rage. She picks up an axe, and with two fell swoops, cuts down Tony and breaks the stabbing robot on Tom. She's too slow to catch the jack-in-the-box though, which snakes off into the ducts. They find Stevie wrapped up in Christmas lights, but otherwise okay, and Tony Collette saves Tom from a second robot by shooting it with the revolver. Everyone rushes downstairs and hears the jack-in-the-box thrashing around in the vents, and the dog sets off to flush it out. The ceiling cracks, but nobody moves, and everyone can pretty clearly hear the dog being eaten before the ceiling breaks entirely, the jack-in-the-box dropping onto the living room floor. Howard goes to shoot it, but is attacked by the tree angel, and everyone rushes to assist him as the various Christmas horrors assemble in the front room. Aunt Dorothy picks up a shotgun and guns both the bear and the angel down before turning to finish off the jack-in-the-box. Before she gets a chance, noises can be heard from outside the house, which only declares it's from elves, as they burst in through the window and knock Dorothy to the floor. Multiple horned unmasked figures storm into the room and extinguish the fire, menacing the family as they chained up Dorothy and their jack-in-the-box, who are both pulled out the front window. Howie, holding on to the jack-in-the-box, is taken alongside it. Uh, the figures continue to menace what's left of the family before a howl can be heard, at which point they all flee. Tom and Max load up the shotgun while Omi tries to relight the fire, and a heavy thud on the roof signals the arrival of Krampus. Despite the lack of electricity, the radio fires up. It's Christmas music, I forget which song. Um, and in response, everyone heads out into the blizzard except Omi, who closes and bars the door behind them. Max tells his father that Omi wants to stay behind and face Krampus. So the group leaves. Inside, Omi returns to the freezing front room and watches as Krampus forces his way down the chimney, the wall cracking and breaking as he pulls himself down into the fireplace. He stands to his full height and steps towards her, extending a claw and a long, wiry tongue, before offering her a sack. He opens it, and a whole bunch of malevolent-looking toys surge upwards. We don't see Omi again. Outside in the snow, the family are nearly at the snowplow when they hear screeching, Tom stays at the back of the pack and tries to shotgun whatever is rushing towards them under the snow. He implores Tony and the others to leave without him while he continues to shotgun, firing as Krampus circles him, wasting his shots until he runs dry. Tom gets pulled into the snow, quickly followed by Linda and then Tony Collette, leaving only Max and Stevie alive in the cab of the snowplow. They struggle to start the engine as elves jump into the car and drag Stevie out of it, dragging her down into the powder as well. Max rushes out of the snowplow alone as Krampus suddenly descends, landing in front of him. Krampus drops a familiar bell into the snow, wrapped in the shreds of Max's letter to Santa. Um, I really should have gone back and checked this, but I'm pretty sure this bell, unlike Omi's, has Santa's, like, Santa etched onto it. Huh. I did um, not notice that. I should probably have rechecked that before we started recording, but whatever, I'm... 75% sure this one said Santa on it. Uh, you, remember, if we are ever wrong about something, you can send in corrections to corrections at giantbomb.com, and I'm <laughs> sure they'll make it to us. Yeah, I think it's because it was, like, the letter to Santa, and mm -hmm. I was like, hey, kid, like, Santa fucking delivered. Here you go. Um... So Max stumbles off after Stevie and finds the elves lashing her to a monstrous sleigh, whereupon he calls Krampus an asshole and demands to take back his wish. Uh, all throughout this section, the frame rate of the movie is really weird. I don't know if... Was this on the copy you watched as well? 
No, um, I don't think so. Weird. I was watching it on Google Play, and the frame rate was very strange from like here to most of like towards the end of the movie. I don't remember anything weird about about that, but I was definitely also watching it on Google Play, so maybe I just didn't notice. Yeah, maybe I was just seeing something that isn't there. Uh, so he throws the bell back towards Krampus, where it sinks into the snow, which begins as a crack. Um, but then pretty quickly opens into, like, a hellmouth, which pushes itself up through the snow. Uh, Krampus and the elves head up to it, seemingly going to throw Stevie in. Max rushes up to confront him, but instead begs that he be taken instead of Stevie. Krampus wipes a tear from Max's face with a long clawed nail, and all falls silent for a moment. Then, Krampus and the elves all begin to laugh, and Stevie is tossed into the abyss. Krampus picks Max up by the head and dangles him over the pit, where he once again apologises. He just wanted Christmas to be like it used to be. He is stopped, uh, dropped into the lava, falling in slow motion as the music swells before he wakes up screaming in bed. Uh, he has a poster of the famous Rick of Rick and Morty by his bedside, so frankly he deserves to be killed by the spirit of Christmas. Grown. Um, but here we are instead. He looks out the window to find the neighborhood cloaked in snow but otherwise fine, his advent calendar open all the way except for Christmas Day. He opens the doors to reveal old Saint Nick, and hears a chattering of his family downstairs. His wish was taken back, and everyone and everything is back to normal. He remarks to his mother that he had a bad dream, and only wishes him Merry Christmas. They have a good time opening presents like a happy family, and the backing music reaches a crescendo as Max opens a small brown present to find a little bell with Krampus etched onto it. Upon seeing this, everyone exchanges looks as memories of the previous few nights return to them. The fireplace flickers, and Santa Claus is coming to town picks up on the radio as we zoom out through the house's front window and through the glass of a snow globe, then further through a dingy workshop full of snow globes toys and candles. The elves and monstrous toys all jump at the screen for one final completely unnecessary jump scare. And that's Krampus.
We made it through Krampus. Curse this movie for making me summarize it so much. That's almost kind of a stinker. You really put more effort into summarizing this uh, movie than the people writing it did uh, when writing it. Yeah, I think this might be longer than the script, maybe. (laughs) I definitely think the highlights of this movie, if any, are in, like, a lot of the visual design and presentation. I think that stuff is pretty fun. Um, Highlights for me, right off the bat, are, one, that animated segment, two, German grandma, love a German grandma, love my German grandma. Um, she doesn't listen to my podcast because she doesn't know what a podcast is, but, you know. Um, three, when, uh, Krampus comes down the chimney and the radio start playing Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, that rocks. The design for Krampus in this movie is real good. How it's just, like, this weird facsimile of Santa that's clearly on top of, like, a weird goat monster. Mm-hmm. Hmm... Almost like Christmas itself is constructed on top of weird, like, older traditions. And I'm being dragged off screen by a hook. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the point of this movie to some degree, right? Because in her story, Omi does say that instead of St. Nick, it was like an older spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it is directly commenting on that, but I guess it's in the ballpark. Like, this movie does open with the whole Black Friday thing. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I worked uh, retail for a couple Black Fridays. Uh, that was when I worked at Toys R Us, and uh, one of those years I did work from Black Friday to uh, Christmas night uh, every day in between that time of... that space of time, and I don't remember any of it except pl- playing uh, Assassin's Creed 3 on my Wii U in bed between shifts. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, the Black Friday stuff is always like so alien to me. <laughs> like even I, I cannot Christmas imagine time. wanting to go outside, honestly. I Like I mentioned before, I went out to the Christmas markets recently, and that was maybe like the most packed I've seen the city I live in like, recently. Mm-hmm. And like that was not anything like the Black Friday sequence in this. Yeah. I guess like it's also tied up in... Thanksgiving is not a holiday that I really celebrate that much, so I just... True. It kind of let Black Friday pass me by a lot of the time. It's also just not a holiday. (laughs) Weird, that. Yeah, weird. Cultures. Countries. Cultures be different. Um, I know I joked about it multiple times, but it is fucking weird to me how much this movie has in common with Hereditary. (laughs) Like, it's very strange. Like, Tony Collette's character is super similar. The scene in the attic is very similar to a scene in Hereditary that fucking haunts me. <laughs> um, a lot of the stuff... A lot of the stuff with Howie Jr., not, like, the joke stuff, but just the general characterization of Howie Jr. reminds me a lot of another character in Hereditary. It's weird. At some point, uh, we will do a Hereditary episode, I'm sure. I think you already promised that, right? Yes, I we will definitely do it at some point. I'm not sure when. I need to be ready to rewatch Hereditary. <clears throat> yeah, fair. Um, but yeah, we will okay. we will watch that, and then you should revisit these notes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, like there is literally frames I could take out of this movie and send someone, and be like, "Hey, do you remember this part of Hereditary?" <laughs> that would be a good yeah. tweet. Just do hereditary parentheses 2018 or whatever, 2019. Oh, God. I may have to do that. 
And, um, but, like, seven people have seen Krampus, and one of them is the Red Letter Media guy. So, like, nobody's going to retweet that one. True. And one of them is definitely Ari Aster. <laughs> um, Do you have yeah. anything on your end to say about this movie? Other than, I don't know. I would like to just... Uh, this movie sucks. On, on top, mm-hmm. And on top of being a bad movie... It's just full of just bad, bad, shitty jokes. Yeah, I, sk- I skimped on a lot of those, didn't the, mm-hmm. the spirit of keeping these summaries as as short as possible. But there's a lot of shit in here that pretty glad I left out. Yep, same. Not really that, that uh, interested in revisiting some of them, but uh, just kind of a kind of a tasteless movie in a lot of those parts. Yeah, I think I prefer the like Krampus the short story that I've got here on my end. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's much to read here. I know that we haven't been doing a lot of that because all of the movies we've been watching are not to call them shallow, but like pretty, pretty on the face as what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this, this is a very busy and complex movie, and there is absolutely nothing in it. <laughs> yes, it's a very complicated movie with nothing in it. <laughs> it's a it's a great summary of how I feel about this movie. Um, we did get an email about this movie. We did from Do you Tron. Wanna, you want to hit these questions? I will. Uh, as always, you can send in emails to the show at exportaudiopodcast at gmail dot com. <clears throat> Uh, so Tron says, uh, I was expecting to have a fun time with Krampus, but I ended up hating a good chunk of this movie. Same. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, what did you think about the soundtracks, and do you like Christmas music? If you do, what's your favorite Christmas song? I, I would have to go on a big, long Christmas music listening spree to say what my favorite is, but I think generally I, I like Christmas music a lot. We should have you on export to do a Christmas song bracket. Hell Yeah. <laughs> I would very much be up for that. I watched this movie on my phone in bed, uh, and it was just interminable. I just wanted this movie to end, and it wasn't ending, and I kept pausing it to check Twitter, and so it took me like two hours to get through a 90-minute movie. It oh, was it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's just... It's it, horrible. It feels like it always has it like at least two different groups of people it's trying to focus on. Mm-hmm. And it's never trying to focus on both of them during, like, a slow period. My favorite Christmas song, um, I mean, it's probably All I Want for Christmas is You. Like, that's, that's probably gonna be it. It's a classic. Now, uh, there's one that makes me cry it. Okay, no, it's not actually a Christmas song. <clears throat> um, the one that makes me cry is the song that they did sing in the Sensate christmas special but it it is not itself a christmas song so it's like die hard yeah die hard also makes me cry but it's not a christmas song yeah i thought so were you annoyed at all by how class was depicted in this movie i really hated that the poor family were just conservative rednecks yeah 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 like there's there's a way of doing this where it like (laughs) draws, like, attention to it in a better way and portrays us of a family, like, more charitably and, like, with more goodwill, but it just kind of doesn't. It treats them as a big, like, series of jokes. And even if it wasn't 
goodwill um, if they wanted to portray that kind of family as like harmful or toxic in some way that wasn't just like fodder for jokes there are ways you could do that that would be more thoughtful and more like uh effective as someone who grew up in that family (laughs) yeah Um, i i i think i uh, yes i was just gonna uh bring up the gender in this movie because at one point some gender happens and it's real weird and uncomfortable and aimless which is the best way to talk about gender is to not know what you're saying about it <laughs> uh, but yeah what were you saying uh, i was gonna say like a lot of christmas stuff it does this divide it goes into like the the caring for the less fortunate but it tends to like do it better than this yeah like, like the, uh, you get your christmas carol divide yeah like, the only time it's brought up in this movie, like, directly, is in uh, in Max's Christmas Letter, where it is fairly offhand, but it's just like, oh, I wish Howie and Linda's family had it a little easier or something. Mm-hmm. And it's real uncomfortable for the whole family at the table and is never mentioned ever again. Yep. <clears throat> Who's your favorite character in this movie? Ooh, uh... I gotta stand Omi. Omi is pretty fucking good. I would also put a vote out there for Krampus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He seems pretty chill. He looks like he's having a good time. Mm-hmm. He's literally just vibing. Yeah, he's just vibing. Um, What did you all think about the monster designs in this movie? Who was your favorite monster in this movie? <sighs> I think Krampus. I think Krampus is my fave. Krampus is pretty cool. I again, I love that he has like the weird mask of Santa Claus on his face, mm-hmm. and then he has like the red coat and stuff as well, like a like a mockery of like classic Father Christmas depictions. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also put again a vote out here for the Jack in the Box with his weird, yeah, like, yeah, horrible distended body. It's pretty cool. A horrible distended body is pretty cool. <laughs> Briar, 2019. What are your thoughts on Christmas stories that are about how the loss of belief in magic is a bad thing for society? Also known as the Santa Claus Trilogy. If you yeah, recall um, the Santa Claus Trilogy. If I was going to be real charitable here, I would say this movie at least broadens it out to be about like a loss of hope mm-hmm. rather than a loss of belief in like magic or anything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I I don't know that I have any clear-cut thoughts on this. Like, obviously, some things are way too like ridiculous about it. I don't think that like losing belief in like anything fantastical is going to like ruin your fucking life or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I don't think that believing in anything around Christmas is particularly key to it. Like fucking. Christmas is about, like, capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to, like, have a moment with autumn and, like, have some hot chocolate on a winter morning or whatever, but, like, we could also do that on the 26th and the 27th. Yeah. I like, even doing it on the 25th isn't really about any, like, particular belief or magic. It's, mm-hmm. like, a, a cultural thing. Yeah. What are your experiences dealing with family during the holidays? 
Uh, so, family's always been, like, a pretty small, like, very direct family affair for me, so it's always just been kind of chill. Uh, I'm the opposite, where my family was so big that for Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners, we would be in, like, 20 different small tables strewn throughout the house of whoever we were, like, visiting. So, also, I was just very isolated from all of my family all my life, uh, and more so once I came out. Uh, But, like, it was just a time to go to a place and get judged for not, like, fitting in with the rest of my family. So it was never really a a good time for me. Um, But, you know, I have now moved out of state and live with my fiancé, so we're going to start, like doing a new thing and like starting our own new family and that's rebuilding those like christmas traditions yeah like we were just talking about christmas traditions and like stuff like that like for me every halloween i watched van helsing from 2004 starring hugh jackman uh that's just the thing i do and now we're, autumn and i were talking about like hey what if we just watched a new hope every year on christmas day that would be cool that movie owns it is pretty good um, I know I what you're thinking. A New Hope isn't a Christmas movie, to which I say McClunky. <laughs> uh, yeah. I definitely remember having a few, like, bigger ones when I was much younger, but, like, for as long as I can... Re- well, I guess not as long as I can remember, since I literally just said I can remember some different ones, but for most of my life it's been, like, me, my brothers, my mum. has been very small. Mm-hmm. But Nice. Um, so yeah, final question here from Traumatized was, do you all like snow? Um, I like the concept of snow, and when I lived in Germany, it was a much more, uh, like, enjoyable experience because they, they were just better about making the roads safe to drive on, it seemed like. Um, I had a real hard night this year driving around St. Louis because of all the hills and everything was just covered in ice and I couldn't get anywhere because I couldn't get up the hills. That was a bit scary and fraught, but generally, snow is good, I think. Especially when I'm inside and it's outside. Yeah, so I, on the other hand, have never driven a car in my gosh darn life. Wouldn't catch me dead behind the wheel. I love snow. It's great. Uh, oh, I will say, I just moved from Texas, so... Uh, I did not traditionally have snow growing up for more than like a couple hours. I hear it's quite hot down there. It's usually pretty warm. Uh, Snow generally melts the same day, if not the day after. And it's only a little bit snow. Um, We get it occasionally, but not enough that I would say it's common to any point. Mm -hmm. And like only ever around Christmas. Yeah. Well, that's our email for this episode, uh, which means it is time to go to hell. Unfortunately, yes, it is directly to hell time. Just gonna go down to Funko.com, see what I can find mm. for this week's Funko check. Uh, I'm going to click this search button. The banner on Funko.com, by the way, Frozen Two. Ah, uh, it is offering me four Funkos. Uh, which are Anna and Elsa, and then a uh, some kind of small animal. It might be a baby reindeer. 
And a, uh, a snow golem? Hmm. Of some kind? Uh, they all anyway. sound bad. I'm going to type Krampus into the search bar, and we will see what... Oh, okay. Uh-huh. It says... Oh, for a second it said no results for Krampus, showing eight results. But we do have a Krampus. Ooh. I don't know if this... Oh, no, this is not... This is... We have a Krampus, is what I will say. We have a Krampus, and I'm going to send you a Krampus. So it is a Krampus, not not our Krampus. It is from Krampus. Maybe you've heard of Krampus. I have heard of Krampus. Uh, here we go. I have started sending the uh, Funko.com link, so you might purchase that rather than just sending you a picture. So you will you will be tempted to uh, purchase this fine friend. I don't think so. But I'm looking here on this guy. He's got some accessories. He's got a broom. Um, looks like he could be doing some cleaning. That's not something that the Krampus in this movie did. Um, he also has some chains. They look okay. Uh, pretty good patterning on the fur, I think, here. Those nice white fangs. Pretty good. Love a nice set of fangs. Um, pretty good fun club. I think overall I would give this... Uh, I'll be charitable. Uh, this is zero, zero Funkos out of five. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I will say, uh, this is a, this is a horror podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, we we talk about things that are scary here, and we we face them with bravery and courage. And we, when I scroll down on this page, I do see uh, more like this. We have uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders Funko Pops from 2016. I was looking directly at these, and I was very much hoping that this was the joke you were making, and it was. Thank you. <laughs> Fun fact, the uh, trending value of a Hillary Clinton Funko Pop from 2016 is $15, and Bernie Sanders comes in at $38. Yes. Unfortunately, some something called Kappa is coming in a little bit above them. Yes, Kappa, listed as public domain, is $55. This might just be... Oh, it like... is just a Kappa. It is just a kappa. But like gold. Yeah. Oh, let's check the Ruth Bader Ginsburg Funko. See how valuable that one is. No Insufficient on data one. for trending value. Damn. Damn, Albert Einstein for $11? Uh, Donald Trump for 43 We're done here. Uh, you can find me at neither Nora or at Zoetics on Twitter. That's Poetics spelled with a Z. I mean, with an X at the front. Not a Z. There's no Zs in Zoe. Um, you I can have find just me... seen. Sorry, hmm? I have just seen something horrific that I will share with you afterwards. Okay, um, is it the Ronald Reagan Funko? No. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, you'd also find my writing at medium.com/slash/at/nora/f/blake. I've been writing a bunch of games crit recently, and I think some of it's good. So maybe check it out. <clears throat> You can find me and links to all the stuff I do on Twitter at Wagazelle. And as always, you can support this show if you go to exportaud.io or patreon.com slash exportaudio. Lots of podcasts on there. Give us your money. Um, we need it. Thanks. It is the time of the year to be charitable. It is Christmas. It is a, it is the season to be fucking jolly. Hell yeah. So, I believe time is up for the cow hour.
Uh, everyone can join us next time as we are watching Black Christmas. I am not sure which version. I believe there are three of them. We will have to decide that at some point. Uh, M recommended this, and so I assume that the oldest version available is the one that they mean. Fair enough. Uh, so, we'll probably be watching that next time then. But until then, good night. Good night. Thank you.